Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever heard of writer's block before? According to Wikipedia, writer's block is a condition primarily associated with writing in which an author is unable to produce new work or experiences a creative slowdown. Unfortunately, writer's block sometimes affects ministers as well. That's why I had a hard time coming up with an introduction to this sermon, so I thought today we will just jump right into the sermon theme. And the sermon theme this afternoon, of course, is on the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Our sermon theme this afternoon is, The Lord Jesus Teaches Us to Pray for Our Daily Bread. We'll see that this is a prayer for, first of all, our bodily needs to be met, and second of all, for our hearts to be content. So Lord's Day 50 begins with a simple question. What is the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer? And the answer begins this way, give us this day our daily bread, that is, provide us with all our bodily needs. Such a basic request. Father, give me the food that I need today, this day. And not only food, but everything I need to sustain this earthly body. It's a basic request, but notice that this is, this is not an afterthought from our Lord Jesus. See, when you look at the Lord's Prayer, you can see that the petitions are split into two main groups. The first three petitions are focused on God. How will be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. The last three petitions then focus on ourselves, needs that we specifically need as humans. But as we come to these uh, last set of petitions focused on our needs, notice that the prayer for our bodily needs is not just shoved towards the end. No, it, it comes first. And that's no accident. That's not to say that praying for our bodily needs is more important than the petitions that follow it. But it does tell us That Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ, and God, our Father, they care about our physical needs. See, there have been times throughout church history where this has been downplayed. For example, some within the early church taught this petition must be interpreted in a spiritual way of some sort. Something like, give us this day our daily Eucharist, meaning the bread of the Lord's Supper. After all the thinking went, surely this petition could not be something so simple as praying for regular food. But we must understand that sort of thinking came more out of Greek philosophy than anything from Scripture. And to be sure, God's Word does warn us about having a worldly attitude towards our bodies a type of perspective that elevates physical things as the be-all and end-all of life. And yet we may not go to the other extreme either. We cannot deny the importance of life's physical side. And some false teachers in the early church did this very thing. 
Teachings such as Gnosticism essentially viewed the body as a prison house for the soul. And the same kind of ideas are found in some Eastern religions today also. But those sorts of teachings are not from God. Right at the very beginning of Genesis, we read, God's physical creation is good. And after the creation of humans, God declared His work very good. The Bible teaches that God cares about this physical world. Listen to Psalm 104. You cause the grass to grow for livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen man's heart. Or Psalm 145, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. And if there's any doubt about this, consider what God has done in Jesus Christ. God the Son, the eternal Son of God, was willing to take upon Himself our human flesh and blood. God the Son, true God of true God uniting himself to a human body, a human nature. He shares in our physical life, and he will keep his human body for all eternity. And by dying on the cross in his human nature, Christ redeemed not just our souls, but our bodies. See, Christ went to the cross also to save this physical creation. That's why the Holy Spirit teaches us in 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price, including this physical body. Therefore, honor God in your body. So, God cares about this physical life, sustaining our physical lives. And so, we can pray this petition in faith. God is not indifferent to our physical needs. He cares for His creation. He cares about our bodies. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that we need to eat. And yes, this earthly body is prone to break down and die. And it will always be that way in this life because of sin. And so praying this petition... It doesn't mean that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, that God will withhold from us all physical suffering or sickness or even hunger. No, sometimes God does let us experience those things, sickness and even hunger and pain. But we can trust that God will give us what we need as we depend on Him day by day. And that even if we suffer through those things, God still cares about our physical life. And so in all the trouble and strain of daily work, pray for God's blessing. It's important to Him also. In all the stress of needing to pay the monthly bills, Pray 
for God to provide. He cares about this also. In all the ups and downs of physical health, pray for God's healing. And in all the work to put food on the table again, pray for God to give. Although God doesn't always give us exactly what we want, He still cares. And He will give us what we need for our good as we live our lives here on the earth. Now, Lord's Day 50 goes on to, to say more about this petition. What is the fourth petition? It asks, Give us this day our daily bread, that is, provide us with all our bodily needs, so that we may acknowledge that you are the only fountain of all good, and that our care and labor, and also your gifts, cannot do us any good without your blessing. Grant, therefore, that we may withdraw our trust from all creatures and place it only in you. What do we learn from these words? We learn that this petition is also meant to guard us against idolatry. See, it's a request that turns our eyes to God and seeks our blessing only from Him. It's a prayer about trusting God for everything, even something as plain as our daily bread. And this is what we need. You see, the history of the human race is so often a repeating story of humans trusting in themselves, in their own power, in their own ingenuity, and not looking to God. And that's the default position of the human heart ever since the fall into sin to trust in ourselves rather than trust in God. And you see this sort of thing right near the beginning of the Bible. Well, there were generally two groups of people near the beginning of the book of Genesis. There was the unbelieving line of people that came from Cain. And on the other hand, there was also the godly line of people that came from Seth. And the sinful line of Cain produced many uh, great men, so to speak. We hear about Jabal, who's the father of all those who dwell in tents and kept livestock. We hear about Jubal, father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe, an inventor of music. We hear about Tubal Cain, a forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. They seem to be pretty strong, smart, and savvy. But there's something we don't read about. No calling upon the Lord for them. No dependence on God. In fact, their father, Lamech, boasted in himself, boasted in his own strength. And that's the heart of unbelief, forgetting about God, trusting in ourselves, thinking we can do it all on our own. 
because this is the default position of our fallen heart, it's, it's easy for us to fall into this thinking too. We might be tempted to also turn to science to solve all of life's problems. And we, get, we may get the idea that no matter what problem we face in this life, eventually, eventually we'll find a solution all on our own. But through this petition, Christ is turning us from that attitude. He teaches us we need God even for the most basic thing, even the most simplest thing, bread. Bread. You see, Christ doesn't teach us to pray, Father, give us caviar and champagne, but don't worry about the rest. We can take care of the daily bread part ourselves. No, even the most basic things come from God. We depend on Him all the way. We need Him every step of the way. From sowing seeds to setting the supper table. Without God's blessing, we'll end up with nothing. With nothing. And listen to how, how God Himself describes this in Isaiah 17, the verses 10 and 11. There He says, You have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants and sow the vine branch of a stranger, though you make them grow on the day that you plant them and make them blossom on the morning that you sow, yet the harvest will flee away in the day of grief and incurable pain. See, the harvest flee away. Though you put in all that work, if you do not trust in the Lord, it can disappear in a moment. And that's what happens when we rely on ourselves and forget about God. Eventually, it will end in failure. But Jesus, our Lord, teaches us a better way. Daily dependence on God. So at the beginning of the day, when you call upon the Lord, ask God to give you what you need for that day. Brings us to our second point. So we, we see the Lord Jesus taught us this petition so that we would depend on God for everything. We need God for even the most basic things in life. But through this petition, our Lord Jesus is also teaching us something else. He's also teaching us contentment. Listen to the, the petition again. Give us this day our daily bread. That's not much. Right? Give us this day our daily bread. Of course, that doesn't mean we can't have more than just bread to eat. It doesn't mean you can't eat you know, chips, chocolate, and chicken wings. But there's a simplicity in this petition that's often so far from our hearts, a simplicity. Give us what we need to sustain my physical body. Christ says in Luke 12, Watch out! Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. 
a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And when you read that, it feels like our culture has disregarded that teaching completely. The message you constantly receive day by day is that life is all about getting more stuff. And we can make that mistake too. You know, just think about children. They get a new toy. Seems to be the best thing in the world. But it doesn't take long before boredom sets in. The toy no longer excites them. And you know what? Adults can do the same thing too. You want something, you seek it, you finally get it. But what happens when you finally get that thing you wanted? Well, the shine and the fun of a new possession, it can fade in a single day. And then contentment disappears, dissatisfaction sets in once more. And in a moment, our heart craves something else. But listen to what our scripture readings have to say about this. In 1 Timothy 6, the Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, describes the thinking of corrupt uh, people. He says they have been robbed of the truth. They think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Right? They have a, a health and wealth attitude towards God. If you live a certain way before God, you're, you're going to get rich. But notice the contrast that, that comes next in this passage. Paul writes to Timothy, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And why? Well, it's because godliness has benefit for eternal life. Uh, this is what Paul told Timothy back in uh, 1 Timothy 4. He says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Godliness is promise for both the present life and the life to come. That's why godliness with contentment is great gain. It holds promise for the eternal life that is coming. That's why Paul also writes that we bring nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. As believers, we fix our eyes on what is unseen, on, on what is eternal. For what is seen is passing away. And so as we live this life, we can be content with even just food and clothing, the basic necessities of life. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are then also asking for an eternal perspective on life. We'll think for a moment about Israel coming out of Egypt in the book of Exodus, and, and then also the book of Numbers. They journeyed a long time through that wilderness going towards the promised land. 
And while they traveled through the desert, God gave them the food they needed for each day. Every morning, except for the Sabbath, there was manna for the people to collect. It may not have seemed like much, but God gave them manna for an important reason. Israel was not yet in their true, lasting home. They were in the wilderness, not their home. And God had an, an, a view, an eye of bringing His people to that promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a land they could enjoy. And so they had to be content with their daily bread on their journey, also so they could set their heart on the land that was coming. They would realize we're not yet in our permanent home. And they could know God was going to give them so much more. But they had to be patient, had to wait for God's timing. And what happened when Israel grew discontent with their daily bread in the wilderness? Well, so often they grumbled against God, sinning against Him. Take, for example, only Numbers 21, the verses 4 and 5. There it says, Israel, Israel traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Rumbling against God. Because God gave them their daily bread. Their hearts were not content. They were not living by faith. They did not understand where God was taking them. And so when they grumbled, it invited God's fatherly discipline against them. Beloved, let us understand where God is taking us. Something way better than the land of Canaan taking us to the ultimate promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. And He gives us what we need for each day with a view to what is coming, to bring us closer to our eternal home. And so as we await that time, let us be content as we travel through the wilderness of this life, so to speak. Let's be content with even just the basic necessities of life. Let us fix our eyes on what is coming. Remember 1 Timothy 6, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. That's also why we do well to pay attention to the prayer we read in Proverbs 30. Listen to this prayer again. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal, profaning the name of my God. 
Now, what a prayer. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Let me ask you, are you able to pray this prayer from the heart and really mean it? Father, give me neither poverty, but please don't also, please do not give me riches also. Now, perhaps we can understand that request for God to not give us poverty. Who wants to live in poverty? But what about asking God to not give you riches? Can you honestly pray that prayer from the heart? Or perhaps you hope that if you pray it, He'll still give you riches anyways. Why does the author of this section of Proverbs ask God to deny him riches? It's because his heart is fixed on God. And he also understands the danger of riches in terms of his relationship with God. He has his eye on his relationship to God first and foremost. Feed me with the food that is needful needful for me, he says. And why? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? What an awful thing that would be. It's a similar danger described in 1 Timothy 6. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The prayer in Proverbs 30 shows us that praying this fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread, is not only about receiving our physical, uh, the things we need for this physical life. It is about that, but more. It's also about our relationship to God. The author here doesn't want anything to get in the way of his devotion to his Lord. That's the most important thing. He never wants to deny his Lord. And that's on his mind now so as he thinks about this physical life. Of course, it doesn't mean he's shunning physical things. He asks God, do not give me poverty. But in this too, he's thinking again of God. He doesn't want to steal and so profane the name of the Lord. So it's good to reflect on our own hearts. When we ask God to give us things, the things we need for this physical life, do we keep in mind our our relationship to God as we ask them? Are we focused on God and our relationship to Him first and foremost? Is that what's guiding our requests, our desires, our actions? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Praying this sincerely may take a measure of repentance on our part. Perhaps we do love money after all. But it's a good prayer. As we see here, it's a prayer that God would be number one. It's a prayer of looking ahead to eternity with God. It's a prayer where God is honored as a fountain of all good 
Amen. Let us respond to the preaching of God's Word by singing together hymn 63, stanzas 5 and 8.